Hello and welcome to the newest episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, with another fabulous guest for you guys today. My dear, dear friend, Melissa Ann Marie Farley, joined me for a very lengthy conversation about her work in film and some uh, other exciting things that she has going on that I wasn't even aware of. And very excited to bring those things to you guys. Little update, uh, this would have been the last episode of the season. However, uh, since Carla's uh, interview ran into two episodes, we will be releasing the second half of her episode next week. And uh, we talk a little bit about her work as a bass player. And then the conversation just took off into this sort of uh, philosophical overview of what the world needs and how we can be better to each other and uh, pointing out things that uh, maybe will help us if we are aware of them. So definitely check that out. I'm also in talks with uh, several other people to come on the show after the summer break. And uh, it'll be sometime second or third week of September that I'll be starting up again. I may also be doing uh, a couple of interim review episodes if I get the time. And uh, hopefully those will be enjoyable to you guys, especially to my fellow composers and audio engineers in the business. Um, Shout out to the loss of my dear friend, Debbie Overby. Uh, She was someone who was a very, very helpful, caring, giving, loving person in uh, Phoenix was a uh, person who was of great impact in the community there, helping build it and maintain it. She was always one to let people know when there was a scam, when there was something they should go for. Uh, Great resources, just a wonderful, loving person who is a very dear friend of mine. Uh, We didn't talk as much once I left Arizona, but uh, we used to hang out from time to time and talk. She is survived by her husband, Bart, who has my, uh, my deepest condolences. Definitely uh, felt heavily across the Phoenix film community. I was going to try and do an episode um, dedicated just to her, but to be honest, uh, you know, sometimes the words just don't really seem to be that important. And um, it's going to be tough for everyone to get through, but we will uh, carry on as she would have wanted us to do. So uh, love to you, Debbie. And thank you for all that you did for us in uh, as a community and just as people. You were absolutely wonderful. Uh, not much else is going on right now. Um, once I'm back on the break, like I said at the beginning of the last show, I will be working on finishing up the Haunted Holidays album, which I'm very excited to finally get done. I, I actually started recording it uh, about a year ago and uh, just got really busy, didn't really get it finished to the the level I had expected or wanted. And uh, now I've gone back and I've reworked all of the songs except for one. So I'll be finishing that one up first, and then I will start recording and mixing the album, which will all be done hopefully by the end of August, uh, early September, and then it will be available to you sometime in October in all the usual spots, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, CD Baby, uh, everywhere you can find all things me, and please check those out. Uh, Also have a SoundCloud account uh, if you're interested in hearing some of the work that I've done. I've kind of cleaned it out a little bit, but I'll be uploading some new stuff there. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff over at CD Baby, uh, as well as, like I said, iTunes, where you get the podcast. If you search for Scott Haskin, I think it's Scott K. Haskin, uh, then you'll get links to my albums and and uh, different podcasts I've been a guest on and that sort of thing. So uh, check that out. And in the meantime, this this was so exciting because we've been trying for so long to schedule this. And then we started recording um, through Facebook, which is great because it really brings a lot of clarity 
but it also starts sometimes doing some dropouts and things. So we switched about, uh, I want to say around the 15 and a half minute mark of the interview to, uh, to just telephone. So there'll be a little bit of a sound change, a little bit of less dropouts. Um, the phone is a little bit muddier, but I think the majority of it still came through fairly clearly, but, uh, better that than the dropout. So, uh, thank you to Melissa for your patience, for your, your wonderful, uh, conversation that we had. And let's bring that to you guys right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring my next guest on to the show. Her name is Melissa Anne-Marie Farley, and she is one of the loveliest people on the planet. Melissa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Scott. Thank you so much for having me today. It is my pleasure. I know we've been trying to work this out for a while and between your schedule and my schedule and life, it's it's been hectic. It, yes, I, I feel like that is an understatement, but yes, it has been hectic. <laughs> you know, earlier today, I was I, you know, thinking about our uh, recording coming up. I was trying to think about how to describe you because you wear so many different hats in the industry, mm-hmm. um, not just in film. I mean, you've worked as a director, you've worked as an actress, you've worked as a model, you've done just about everything uh, on that end, but then you also work in uh, you do some work in marketing and you do, you've done a lot of work in journalism. How do you describe yourself? That's a great question. I, I, I feel like I'm sort of still trying to figure that out, especially now kind of at the point that I'm at in my life where um, I'm actually leaving um, corporate journalism after about a decade working in that industry. And so it's funny, I was like, just thinking to myself, I probably need to get some new business cards made and like figure <laughs> out how I want to introduce myself from now on. So. Right. Yeah. 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 When we used to do the uh, meetings for the Indo- uh, Phoenix independent filmmakers group, Tammy would just, you know, she would, we would all go around and introduce ourselves. And then when it came to me, uh, she would go, okay, everybody buckle up because, you know, doing <laughs> audio and sound design and composition and, you know, stepping in as an actor now and then and doing audiobooks and all that stuff. It was really a long list of titles. And I kind of feel it's the same way for you. Not that you yeah. focus on all of them, but that you've done all of them. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's funny because at certain points in my life, definitely some things are more prominent than others. And so I'll tend to like introduce myself one way at an organization or like at a networking event or something. And then, you know, six months will go by and I'll like meet somebody and they'll be like, oh, you're that uh, director that I met. And I'm like, no, I'm an actor. And they're like, I swear you introduced yourself as director. I was like, well, yeah, I do that too. But now I'm acting. It's like, <laughs> right. you know, it's just kind of funny. But yeah. it's, it's almost like you want to have a, a business card or an introduction, depending on what hat you're wearing for who you're being introduced to or who you're talking to. Yeah. And you know, that's actually um, a suggestion somebody gave me a long time ago is to have like, multiple resume templates built up and multiple business cards, depending on what kind of event you're going on and just, you know, kind of have everything sort of readily available, depending on who you're, you're catering to in the moment. And that sounds fantastically well prepared and thought out. And I'm just not the kind of person I think to actually do that, but (laughs) I I think it's really solid advice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's tough in the moment too, because you don't want to pigeonhole yourself with somebody because yeah, you, they might know you as an actress, but they might be looking for a director. They might be looking for someone who can help them with location or somebody who knows a certain area. I mean, you never really know how you can help somebody. And if you just limit yourself to here's my modeling business card, or here's my acting business card, um, 
they they might not understand that there's more you can do for them. Yeah, that's that's sort of how I feel too. It's like I'm always slightly worried that I'm going to miss out on an opportunity if I don't sort of cover all my bases, you know. But I also think some of it comes with, you know, confidence as as you grow. And you know, for the longest time, I was only comfortable really introducing myself as an actor, um, you know, because obviously I've I've done it the longest out of anything else, but. You know, it took me a really long time to be able to say that I was a director because it was like, well, if they ask me to do this project, am I really ready? Do I really know what I'm doing? You know, right. so yeah. It, to kind of work up uh, the gumption to start adding that to my, you know, to my long list of, of hats that I wear. But, you know, I feel like that's normal for everything. I remember when I first started out acting, I wouldn't say I wouldn't introduce myself as an actor and my mentor in college literally pulled me aside. And he was like, if you don't start calling yourself an actor and believing that you're an actor, nobody else will. So you have to start doing it. And I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, that really is true. But, and also if you, you know, if you say, you know, you're talking to somebody and you say, well, I'm an actor and they say, oh, I'm a cinematographer. They're not going to say, Hey, you're an actor. Are you looking for a cinematographer? But if you say I'm an actor and I'm a director, they might say, oh, you're a director. Are you looking for a cinematographer? So again, it's like all that, how you represent yourself. If, But you're right. If you don't say it, it's not real. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I think too that a lot of times people get really caught up in constructs of, of you know, just how society kind of people things or how they think things should be done. And so for a long time with the directing thing too, like directed a big set or like I know how things are supposed to go but I tend to do a little bit more of like the Duplass brothers style where I like really like having kind of the stripped down version of a set and so maybe I shouldn't say I'm a director because people won't get what they you know think they should get from me and yeah and then it was like you know what like the way I do things is works for me it makes sense for me I still am a director it's just my style and that's that's great, you know. And and once I accepted that, it was like, okay, I'm I'm happy to introduce myself, director. I like that. And you know, I I listen to a lot of people introduce themselves as say an aspiring actor. But yeah. if, if you're acting in something, you're not aspiring. You're acting. You might be aspiring to get to another level in your career. But if you're acting in something or you have acted in something, you're an actor. Yeah, you are. And, you know, I think that that it's kind of a little outdated to say it at this point. But now, you know, you can so easily you can find a group of people to go film a project with, you know, in like 10 minutes. If you make a post on Facebook somewhere, like you can find a project to act in and the business of acting, then you are an actor. And, you know, I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand about the trajectory of careers and everybody's path is different you know but for me I was taking lots when I first started acting and it was like I wanted to make mistakes you know I wanted to see what I was good at what I wasn't good at I wanted to try to challenge myself a little bit and I figured you know if I am really bad then like what better place to do it than you know in some key film market where doing like an indie film you know like I'd rather do it in this place than like book my first gig for ten ten thousand dollars and like not have any idea what I'm doing you know and so as soon as I started booking anything um I started saying that I was an actor and I started just accepting the fact that 
you can't get better at anything until you keep doing it, you know, and, and keep practicing it. And that's just the natural, you know, trajectory of, of how you get better at anything. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think back to when I first moved to LA and, you know, I would meet people at these red carpet events and, and you know, they would ask me what I do. And I say, I'm a composer. Oh, well, what have you worked on? And you kind of <laughs> feel like if you, if you don't have something that's been a prominently well-known project, whether it's an A-list or a B-list film or, or, you know, like a B-horror movie or something that has a title they might know, um, you kind of feel like you're a nobody in a room yeah. of people that you are not up to par with. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something I've struggled with, too. And, you know, I, I even now, like, I have a couple bigger projects under my belt, which I can always throw out if I need to. But, like, you bring that up because that's one of my husband's things about going to, like, industry events with me. He's like, they always ask you, oh, what are you working on now? What What, what are you working on right now? And he's like, it's just so you always feel like you're just trying to one up everybody. Isn't that exhausting? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you yeah. have to be working on a project. You can't just say, you know what? If you say I'm taking time off, then the perception is, oh, no one's hired you for anything. You're not even right. going to find work. And and it's so silly the way that people twist that. You know what? Maybe I just I've, I've worked on six projects in a row. I haven't had a day off in two and a half years. I just want to take a little time. But if you say that, no matter how you phrase it, the perception is, oh, you haven't found a project. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the idea of like, you just have to stop kind of giving a shit about what other people think, you know, because mm -hmm. that was something that um, I started doing about a year, two years. You know, I'd go to networking events and they'd ask me that question. And I, at that point in my career, I was trying to get really deliberate about what I would say yes to and what I wouldn't say yes to as far as acting projects, because sometimes I would go a couple months without having anything, you know, to work on. And, you know, they'd ask me that question. And I'd be like, nope, uh, nothing has come along that, you know, I feel is a great project for me to be working on right now. So I'm just kind of scouring audition notices. And they'd always look at me and be like, oh, OK. <laughs> right, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I don't care. Thing for me, <laughs> like this makes sense for my career. You don't worry about it, you know. Right. Right. And why do we have to be working every single minute? I mean, it's nice to have a steady flow of projects, but sometimes you need to refresh or you need to work on a skill that you realized in the last project is underdeveloped. And, you know, I, I think that taking time away, and I'm probably the worst person to be saying this because I never do it, <laughs> but I think taking time away is a good thing if you use that time wisely. But it's so, we, we feel like we have to manipulate everything. And I would get around it in LA by just saying, oh, well, you know, I just moved here. So I'm, I'm actually doing a lot of networking for projects since, you know, I, I moved from Arizona. I'm getting out of the indie world and starting. But when people would announce me as a quote, big time composer, I'm yeah. like, I'm not working on films with, you know, whoever the top stars are. I've never done a movie with Sandra Bullock or or anything. And, and, you know, it's, it, you feel like it, this is your one shot with people. And if you don't find a way to finagle it and carefully word yourself into a relationship with these people, you're going to get blacklisted really quickly. Yeah. There's always that, that pressure. I think that exists, but I think, you know, you know, level of pressure, I would say than like Arizona and New Mexico, like slowly kind of creeping up into the big market vibe and it's gotten a lot of business now but you know I think for me I um you know and, and just did acting I think I always felt like oh I don't really have to justify this as much because I'm not gonna like die 
something this week and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to like starve if I don't book something and, right, uh, yeah. you know, and so there was kind of this, this release of, of pressure that got taken off of me. But now, you know, that I'm not going to have the nine to five job and I'm really going to focus on sort of investing myself creatively. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see like how I'm going to react. Yeah. But you've done a lot of investing in yourself along the way. I mean, you've taken acting classes, you've worked on so many projects, you've helped people, you've always pitched in wherever somebody had an opening or a need for something. You've, you've always been willing to jump in and you learn so much from all those experiences. It's not always about acting. It's just about being in that atmosphere. Yeah, I do feel like I've I've picked up a lot of wisdom along the way and I've been able to observe a lot of people and work on a lot of different projects and take different things from that. And you know, the flip side of that too is like I remember being at a press junket um at the Sedona Film Festival and Susan Sarandon was there and she was talking about like knowing why you're you're doing something. Like, you know, she was like, I know that I'm taking this film because I want to buy myself this dining room set. And the only reason that I'm taking this film is because I really want this dining room set. And it's going to be, she's like, and that's fine. As long as you know that, and that that's your, you know, reason for doing something, that's all that matters. And that really stuck with me because, you know, like I just took a couple of film projects and they're not, they're not going to be a listers. They're not going to be like super amazing projects necessarily, but they're going to be fun, you know, or I'm going to get something specific about it. And I, it's, and there are people that I love working with, whatever it is, like, it's something that I am walking away from feeling, you know, that I, that I gained something from that experience. And so that's kind of how I've shaped a lot of, they lead to things that you don't expect them to lead to, you know, kind of what we were talking about before. It's like, yes, this role, maybe it, it only pays $25 a day, but then there's somebody on the set who's doing this film that, you know, or whatever, and they can, they can pay a thousand dollars a day. Right. You didn't plan that. You didn't expect anything to come of it, but Hey, that's, that's how the universe gives, you know, things sometimes. Well, you know, I, I did, um, I've done a couple of acting jobs and, um, just really out of more circumstance than anything else. And, uh, I didn't expect pay for either one of them. I just thought, you know, helping out a friend doing this or that. And, uh, and I ended up getting paid for both of them. And I was like, oh, great. You know, I, I just put myself out there because you needed some help. And um, it's nice when they right. compensate you. But if you if you don't have an agreement going in, don't expect it's going to happen on the back end. If, it's, if something happens, it's a really beautiful, pleasant surprise. But know what you're getting into yeah. beforehand. And then you can't really be upset. You can only have a better outcome or the same one you were expecting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know. I love when films are professional and they have contracts and you, like you said, know exactly what you're getting up front. I think that is the best way to go. But, but like you, I've also done projects where there was no compensation. I was just doing it to help a friend out or um, because maybe I, I really liked that filmmaker and I just wanted to kind of get in front of them and, you know, have, have a chance to share some set time with them. And, um, and yeah, I, I had the same thing happen where like out of nowhere, they were like, Oh, here's this check, you know, like, yeah. thank you so much for being outside. And it's like, it always feels like sort of magical when that happens. Like, sure. oh. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, in a way, I kind of felt bad taking the money because I'm not an actor. Like, I don't feel like since I haven't studied it, I haven't done anything to build up any skills. I just was like, okay, here's who I think this guy is. And do you, does the director agree? Okay, great. I'll play it that way and just do it. Um, I kind of feel weird taking money for something that I don't have any skill in. 
I mean, am I being ridiculous? A little bit. The only reason I say that is because... So so for the audience, the reason the sound is different is because we were recording over Facebook and it was cutting out a little bit. So we decided to go the the old school telephone route um, (laughs) or two cups and a string, as it might be. And uh, so the sound might be a little bit different, but I think the call will be a little clearer. So I was saying that I think I'm being ridiculous for taking money for uh, doing acting jobs and not being a skilled or trained actor. And you were Mm -hmm. about to tell me why I'm ridiculous. Yes, I was. Okay, so so have you seen the show Barry on HBO? I have not. Okay, it's it's a brilliant show. And like, if you watch that show, you would seriously think I probably I don't think I say his name right, Bill Hader. Um, but he, you know, is an actor in it and he also writes and produces and directs some of the episodes. Anyway, you would think he like went through super hardcore training and is this like masterful actor. And in this interview that he did with NPR, he talked about how like the, like the only acting that he's done ever has been just improv, you know, and like, like kind of comedy stuff. He's never taking a regular acting class in his life. Wow. And and he's won awards for the show now and he's he's so amazing. And so my my grand point of this is like, yes, training is amazing. Obviously, you know, when you're a professional, it's expected that you, you know, put your your hours in and you work really hard to get to where you're at. But there's also just something that some people have the ability when as an actor to just really be present. You know, they, they talk about the core of acting is just listening and responding honestly in the moment. That's all it is. That's all acting is at its core. And so if you did that and you did it as truly as possible, then you can be a masterful actor without taking a single class, you know? Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. I, I guess. And, and because I was being somebody who wasn't me saying things that I would not say, mm-hmm. I, I suppose you could categorize that as acting. But I I guess when I think of, you know, somebody hiring somebody as an actor, it's like you should have some skill or some schooling or something built up. But I guess it's all relevant. And as long as they're happy with the work that you did and they don't have to throw it out because your performance was terrible, then I guess in the end, it's all good. I think it's always a matter of preference, too. I mean, like I've, I've heard interviews and I've worked with directors, too, that actually um, prefer to cast non-actors for roles and they prefer to kind of pull people that are in similar life paths of what like the character is in. Mm -hmm. And the reason they like doing that is because while training can be a really great thing, it can also be something that like, if you're getting bad training or if you're getting training that is a certain way, then when you go do a role, sometimes the director has to like untrain you, you know, Mm -hmm. like you have forget some of the things that you picked up along the way to kind of strip down to this level that the director might want you to be at. And so there's definitely directors that like working with, um, with, with the, you know, non-actors with people that kind of come in as, as raw as possible, as long as they're, um, can take direction well. So I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I could see that though. I could see, all right, you're using way too many techniques. We just need you to be natural. Just yeah. like walk in the room. You don't yeah. need to sashay. You don't need to open the door a certain <laughs> way. Just walk in the room. And I could see the actor just wanting to try so many different uh, avenues because of different techniques that they've learned. But I think you can be controlled by your education and, and overuse it just as easily as you could be undereducated. Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, that's something that I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've done that 
in the audition process where like I've definitely um, had an actor walk in and I remember thinking like, oh, they're just they're so set in their ways. Like even if I wanted them to do this other thing, I don't think I could get them to do it because this is just how they've decided to approach, you know, right, yeah. And then there's other people that have walked in and, you know, they've maybe only been in, you know, three short films in college. And I can say, can you try it this way? And they just go all in because they don't they don't know any, but they don't they don't know any better. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll try it this way. Why not? And right. then it ends up thing. So um, and I think, you know, I'm not just saying this because I used to teach improv, but. I think I do feel like that's why improv can be one of the most valuable things um, that actors can train in because it that's basically what improv is. It's like unlearning all the filters, all the things that we apply to ourselves as adults. You know, when you think about just in a normal day, not even in acting terms, but like in your normal life, how often you filter a thought, how often you filter how you're standing because you feel like you might look awkward. Like how many just times you change what you're doing because you are worried about what other people are thinking or seeing or whatever, you know, in improv, it really teaches you to go back to those like childlike instincts that like, if you're happy, you just let yourself be really freaking happy, you know, bend over and smell a flower in the middle of the city, you bend over and smell a flower, like, you know, improv really gets to the that core of like, just trusting your gut and going with it. And I think that's something that is actually really difficult for a lot of people, you know? Yeah, I think it's a great skill. And uh, I had Dev Ross on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she's uh, spent a good chunk of her life doing improv. And um, I think it's one of those things that it gives you so many tools in your tool belt because you learn how to react because you have to. And then when you're in situations like uh, just like a regular acting job, you can pull that from that tool chest and do so many different things that you wouldn't have been able to do had it not been for learning that quick response. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit, I I don't know. I haven't met a whole lot of actors that operate the way I do. I'm actually more comfortable with improv. Like when I get to go to an audition and not have to have something prepared and I can just improv something off the cuff. I'm a lot better and a lot stronger with that. For me, when you hand me a script, um, a lot of times I I have to like Keanu Reeves it and like really work with a coach to make the words my own. Like it can take me a while to to really feel organic with something because it's like it just sticks in my mouth and in my brain that like okay this, this isn't my this isn't my words you know like this isn't what I would. Day. And so I have to kind of break that down for myself a little bit with scripted content. So I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit opposite sometimes than a lot of other actors in that way. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see how each person develops themselves. But I definitely think that you're, you're coming in with a very interesting um, skill set and an interesting approach. But do you think that there are people that just can't do it that way that they that they're just so afraid of? you know, coming up with something on the fly that they need to be directed to the T. Yeah. I've worked with actors like that. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it's, um, I think it's funny because I think I, I, you know, on the flip side, I make actors like that really uncomfortable because I can be a little bit unpredictable for them. Mm-hmm. And for actors that really need that, that preparation, they, you know, they do the same thing every time. 
um, it, it can be hard for them. I will say this, though. A lot of actors that can prepare and do something identical every take, you know, and, and just really stick with it um, are like an editor's dream, you know, like right, yeah. continuity and consistency and being able to make a clean edit, like in a clean cut. Um, I feel like I'm probably an editor's nightmare, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a really, a really good performance, you know, so that was something that I actually really learned from my, um, from working with my husband when we shot our film together, because it was like the performances I really love were the ones that, um, he had a really hard time editing. And so I was like, Oh, this is fascinating. You know, right. I never thought about it from your perspective before, you know? <laughs> and I think it's interesting too, for, for people to understand the other aspects of the job. You know, I've always said that I think an actor should, should direct a project. And yeah. it doesn't have to be a great project. It doesn't have to be a big project, but they should learn the responsibility from actually being in that position and vice versa. If a director has never acted, he should, he or she should act in something. Yeah. Um, you really get an appreciation. And I think you learn how to work better together. Um, where the, where I would draw the line is I don't think I should direct and I don't think a director should compose a film <laughs> you know, if they're not a musician, but, but right. the, the actor director switch, definitely. I think that actors should sit in on an editing session now and then and, and kind of really understand what the editor goes through. And um, maybe they'll tighten up their performances a little bit if they understand what it's like to deal with on the back end. Um, I think that we could all work, learn to work together a little bit better. I could not agree more. Like, you know, two, two things on, on what you just said. I have worked with um, directors that used to be actors and they're usually my favorite directors to work with because they get, you know, what I'm going through and, and they are able to relate to me in that moment in a way that sometimes is a lot more challenging for directors that haven't ever acted before. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate that. And I, I've worked with directors that are, um, you know, I call them technical, like they're, they're really technical directors. And so I very rarely actually get any acting direction from them. They're so concerned about, you know, how the shot is set up or some, or different things that it's like the actors almost feel like a, a an afterthought. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that, that can be a challenge, but, you know, I'll say this, like, I learned a lot from, you know, when we were on set and I was directing things a certain way. And then when I would sit with Pat while he was editing and I'd see his pain points and where he was struggling and, and why, you know, we couldn't continue the shot or cut the shot where I wanted it to. And, you know, it was, it, it helped me understand, oh, here's what I can do better the next time I'm on, I'm on a set and I'm directing to make sure that this makes sense and this works for an editor, you know, but it, yeah. it's like, I wouldn't have known that, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Like, yeah, so sure. like having that experience sitting, you know, in, in the editing bay and, and like watching it um, and hearing what he was going through was like such a valuable experience for me because I, again, I, I could know, what changes I could make when I step back on a set in that directing position. Or at least to to say, okay, we're going to shoot it this way. And just in case, because I feel like there might be a couple of potential, you know, uh, problems with this, um, we're going to also shoot it this way so that we can have some choices in the editing bay as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I tend to be, you know, I, I'm not one of those directors that like, I don't actually love having 30 takes, you know, to right, shoot yeah, them. Yeah. Um, 
I, it feels like insanity, you know, when I think about like Kubrick and some of these other directors that like just shot, I don't know, hundreds of takes. It's like, what are you, what? Um, but I think that being smart about what takes you do want, you know, and having those options to give yourself is, is also a really good lesson. And, you know, one of the things I thought I was doing, this is just like a side note, but like one of the things I thought I was for sure doing really well was like not cutting the scene too soon. I thought I was letting kind of the moment play out a nice amount. And then every, I'm not kidding. Like every time we went to go, I'd be like, Oh, wow. We cut so soon. Like it felt so awkward long on the set and like then when you go to edit it's like I wish I had held that another 10 seconds so like really wow yeah so I might just my like blanket advice is like literally just don't yell cut for like 20 <laughs> after the cut right. like, yeah and like, let it run give yourself a little bit of a leader or, or, or... yeah more than you think yeah. more than you th- wow. yeah that's interesting and you know you mentioned uh Kubrick and, and the first scene that comes to my mind whenever anybody brings up the number of times he shot scenes. I always think about that scene in The Shining when uh, Jack Nicholson is putting the axe through the door to get at Wendy in the bathroom. And Mm -hmm. I think they did, I've heard it was 77 takes. I've heard it was 96 takes. I've heard it was 114 takes. For one, that is a lot of doors. I mean, that's just a lot of doors. (laughs) But the physical toll that that had to take on Nicholson, I mean, by take 10, you've just physically got to be done. Like, how do you keep swinging that axe so much? Yeah, it it does feel a little bit like torture, I think, for your actors. And, you know, that that might have been sort of, you know, part of his madness and brilliance of getting the performances that he got. But, you know, I I definitely don't operate from that that frame of mind, you know, and I I do think like I had been on set, you know, with Kevin Phipps, for example, and he likes you to stay in character all day long, like all, you know, when you're not filming, it doesn't matter, you're, you're in character. And, um, and so it's not like the billion takes like you're talking about, but like, you definitely get exhausted, like I would have emotional hangovers, you know, the next day after filming, because you're, you're just so in that state, you know, and, and he explained to me why he did that. And I thought it made sense. And that was like, you know, we're not, we're not Denzel Washington's. We're not like these professional actors, but that, that this is all we do, you know, their jobs and other distractions and other things. So, you know, and to think that we could just like show up and as soon as he called action, like give this brilliant performance is sort of like silly, you know, so the idea of staying in that state of mind all day, being in that emotional place, you know, makes sense. Um, like to get that that level of performance and it was just kind of like that's the closest I feel like I've ever gotten to like a Kubrick moment of just being like oh my god I feel like I'm gonna have an anxiety attack you know (laughs) right yeah and because you're not you're typically not playing characters where you're like just a background background waitress or something like that I mean you're playing usually characters that have an intensity to them intense moments and yeah. uh, I haven't seen Grief yet, which is one I know that you and Kevin had worked on together. But just just from the little bit I have seen of it, I can tell it's a very intense thing. So to think about, you know, you having to stay in that character all day, I, I would imagine by 10 o'clock in the morning, you're like, I, I can't do this. You know, that had to be incredibly difficult. Yeah, there were like there were two days. Well, there was one day which I felt horrible about, but he was so understanding and sweet and kind about it like that. um it was such a draining day 
and we had like another really big scene that we were supposed to shoot at the end of the set, like at, a, at the end of the night. And I just, I couldn't do it. Like I just could not do it. And they actually cut production early that day because like, I just couldn't, I couldn't man up and like, you know, soldier through. Right. And so he was very understanding about that. And then, you know, there was another day where, um, I, I don't remember exactly. Oh, I think it was after, so I give, I give birth in the film. I'm not giving anything away, but I, you know, I give birth in the film and, um, it was so weird. Like the next day it was like, I missed my baby. Like I missed having the like imaginary stomach and I like missed having like the baby. And it was like this weird, I thought I was like going crazy and was going to end up on Dr. Phil, you know? <laughs> so you were I going through like a, a, a postpartum film depression. Yeah, it was really, it was really weird. And, um, and I had to like, finally, somebody, all these people were like, I remember this, were like offering me all these suggestions to get out of it. And I couldn't get out of this funk. And then finally, somebody was like, just watch puppy videos on YouTube. And so that's what I did. And it wow. worked. <laughs> that's amazing. But you know, I have to say, if I were working with you, and I know Kevin knows you really well, but if, if, if I were working with you, and you said, you know what, I'm pushed beyond my limit. I can't do this scene tonight. I would yeah. take that very seriously because you're a pretty diehard person. You're a, I know I'm tired, but I know I've got one more take in me. Let's look, can I get one more take? Like you go out of your way when you have to, to push yourself. So if you came to me with that, I would take that very seriously. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think I, I appreciate that. I, I think that's, that's, that is what he did too. And I think he knew that if he thought he could get it out of me too, he would have, he would have tried because he's definitely pushed me, you know, to my limits before. And that night, I think he just knew like, nope, we're done. You know, (laughs) I'm glad he made that choice because it could have had a very negative effect on you, but it also could have had a negative impact on the film and you'd probably have to shoot it over anyway. So yeah, (laughs) yeah. Was that, would you say that that's the thing that, that was the toughest thing that you faced as an actor? Um, I, you know, tough as far as like good tough, I really enjoyed that. And I, I miss it, you know, like if every film could be like grief, I would be like the happiest little actor in the world, you know, cause it's so nice to have something so deep to go into. I would say like the, the things that are tough for me is, um, you know, sometimes when you do indie films, they don't, they don't think about all the things that they're supposed to think about. So this is going to sound weird, but like, um, what's, what's been tough for me is the stunt side of stuff. So like when they want me to do really physical things or when they have like guns on set, you know, and, um, that, that stuff gives me a lot of anxiety because I don't know that people fully think about the fact that, yeah, I'm actually standing on top of a moving car or like, yeah, I'm sorry. I want to do a safety check. If you're going to be pointing real guns at me, like, right. you know, yeah. it's, it's just kind of a, like a, wow, this is, this is slightly terrifying, but I'm going to do it anyway. So. Well, and even on professional sets, accidents have happened. I mean, Brandon Lee was shot by a gun yeah. that had been supposedly checked several times. Um, yeah. Magically still had a bullet in it. So um, it's never a bad idea to call for a safety check. No film is worth anybody's life. No. Yeah, I know. And I'm always that like really stubborn person on set that I'll be like, nope, I'm not walking on set. So you show me every single one, you know, yeah. like, well, no, that's, that's good. You need to protect yourself overall. You know, if, if the movie doesn't come out, but you live, that's a much better outcome than, you know, in memory of. Yeah. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you've done a lot of work. I mean, it seems like over the years, every time I see another film being made in Phoenix, it looks like you're a part of it. 
is there, <laughs> I, I mean, do you just really like to keep busy or is it just that, you know, hey, here's an opportunity. I want to grab it. You know, I do like to keep busy. I think that's part of it. I will say this, though, like in the last year, I, I really took a step back and, and took some time off. And I feel like I've been actually a little unplugged from the film scene. But I think for me, it's like it's just I don't know. It's going to sound weird, but it's like it's almost like FOMO, like fear of missing out. Like I see a really cool film or like a cool director doing something. And it's like I just really want to be a part of it, you know, like because you think about all the experiences that you have on set and, and everything that you get to walk away from that with and it's like yeah i just i just want to be a part of doing something cool you know that's understandable because you're passionate about it but i think on the flip side and, and not necessarily for you because you're very well known in the community but for a lot of people i think the fear is if i don't show up to something they're either a going to forget about me or mm -hmm. b go they're not a team player and they're off of my call list and so there's that fear that i have to do everything otherwise the next time they won't call so I got over the whole um, non-being a team player thing because I realized that some of the, the stuff that you say yes to and that you do just to be a team player can actually end up like hurting your career and in not being a, like a positive association. So, you know, that was something that I got over. But the other one that you mentioned about just being forgotten, that's very real. You know, that's something that um, I'll, I'll be very transparent with you, like, I, I got to a point in my career where I never had to audition anymore. You know, it was like if, if somebody was doing a film, I could just be like, oh, hey, I saw you're doing this project. I'd love to be involved. Oh, great. He, would you like to do this role? You know, and that was kind of the, the norm. And then when I took all this time off, I remember I reached out to this guy and did my usual like, hey, I saw you're doing this project. I'd love to be involved. And he like sent me sides to audition. <laughs> and there was this like part of me that was like, don't you know who I am? You know, like <laughs> right, total diva yeah. moment. Just like, really? He's gonna make me audition? Like, and so, and it was like this this understanding of, oh, okay, it's been a while. Um, there's a lot of new filmmakers, you know, that that weren't around when I was around, and yeah, I'm gonna have to, to put my feet on the ground and and do some some work again, you know. So right, and I think it's a healthy thing. It's a good exercise, but. Even even when you get up to like, uh, you know, the Hollywood level for films or even network television for, say, sitcoms or a drama, you those actors, even the ones that we know that they're household names, they still have to audition. Yes. Yeah, actually. And I that's like one of my favorite pastimes, by the way, is watching um, actors audition tapes when they oh. get really for things. I love I love doing that. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, and you're right. Like, I don't. I think it's a horrible thing that I feel that I shouldn't have to audition. I think that. <laughs> well, but you you were you were in a position where that just became the way it was. So when yeah. when things shift again, um, it is going to feel weird. And yeah, it I probably I suppose it does sound a little bit diva, but at the same point, it's understandable why you would feel that way. If the last ten projects you've done, they've just called you and gone, "Hey, I've got a part for you if you're if you have time or if your schedule works out." Um, and then somebody comes along and goes, yeah, I'm going to need you to read for this. That does <laughs> yeah. feel a little bit weird. It is. It does feel weird. And, you know, to be straight up, like, it's just nice. It's nice to not have to audition because like, I'm never one of those actors where I stopped getting nervous at auditions. Like auditions always make me nervous. I feel like it's a stressful thing. And so if I get to skip that step, then like, woohoo, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
having to uh to go back to doing auditions again was just kind of a okay this is this is just going to be part of it but I also feel like that's a skill that you need to keep you know keep the fire burning and and, you know you shouldn't walk away from it too long because you know commercial auditions are weird and they're hard and they're kind of few and far between sometimes so the more you can audition and the more practice you get the the better it's going to be in the long run yeah and it's something that especially you know the the bigger roles that you get offered or the bigger auditions that you get to go on um if you don't have that skill set anymore because you haven't had to do it in a while then then you can really be you know a boat out in the water with no no paddle yeah totally yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. as you're as you're transitioning your uh, journalism career, I do want to touch back on something that happened a few years ago, and I don't know if this was 2012 or 13 or when, but you wrote an article that I was mm-hmm. very proud of you for writing, but you got a lot of flack for it. Do you know the one <laughs> I'm talking about? I have an idea, but I actually feel like I wrote several that I got flack for. So oh, really? Which one specifically? <laughs> Uh, from what I remember about, and I remember the the first time that you and I met up for lunch, we, we like it had just happened. So we were talking about it, but it was basically like, stop crying and start taking responsibility and get out there off of your butt and go do it. Yeah. 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 But, people, <laughs> but, but people were, uh, you know, they didn't like that article because it forced them to take responsibility. You know, it's funny because I still feel very much that way and that that's still the truth about things you know i i've been um as i transition from this career i've actually been reading a lot of like self-help books and trying to go to different seminars and this theme keeps ringing true which is that okay these people don't have anything or do anything different than what i have or they're not more capable than i am they're just doing it you know they're they're out there and they're they're doing it and they're taking those actions and they're taking those steps and you know one step in front of the other gets you into a new destination and so i was reminded kind of of that all over again and i think that's something that you know i felt i did feel frustrated with with a lot of filmmakers and actors out here of like they complain a lot about the state of the industry, about how bad things are, about poor quality of things. And it was like, okay, we'll fix it. You know? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind people, you know, being frustrated or um, bringing something up because it needs to be dealt with. But if that's all you're going to do is bring it up and, and you're not even willing to, you know, head up the cause or be a part of it or, 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 you know, trying to make things better, then it's just whining and complaining and nothing's ever going to get better. Um, people aren't going to want to be around you. They're not going to want to hire you for projects if that's all you do. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting, but I applaud you for writing things that are controversial because you, you don't go out of your way to do that. I don't think, I think the things that you say just tend to be things that force people to realize who they are and what they haven't, haven't done. And because they don't want to take responsibility, they push back because that's the easiest, the the lesser of two evils, right? I could step up and say, she's not going to be talking about me the next time she writes this, or they can just complain about, Oh, you're, you went too far. You're being too rude or, or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's exactly what happened, you know, I, cause I've been on the flip end of that where, you know, I've read something or experienced something and I get really upset about it. And then if I'm super honest with myself, it's because like, Oh, it's, it's because that's true. And like, I don't want to admit <laughs> right. that to myself, like, yeah. you know, and, and I do, I do think that's 
what happened in, in that situation. And, you know, I will say that, like, I'm very, um, to me, when I write that kind of stuff, I don't ever intend to be controversial. Um, in fact, for me, it feels like I'm being very vulnerable because it's like I'm literally sharing what's in my heart and what's on my mind. And that's a scary thing, you know, when you're just being as honest as you can be about something. And so, you know, one of the things that is a positive that's come from that is, you know, whenever I, I have written stuff like that, usually I get a lot of different messages from people that are like, I didn't know other people thought this, or I didn't know other people felt the same way I did, or I didn't know other people cared that much about this cause or this thing, you know? And so that's the part of it that I, um, that I really love is sort of like helping people feel not so alone and helping people understand that, like, we're not so different, you and I, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and you got to figure that if you feel that way, or if you view things that way, somebody else does, if not a lot of people, but because we live in a society where people are so afraid to say anything that might hurt someone's feelings or might cause some kind of controversy, um, nobody's speaking up. Yeah, I, you know, I still think that's a really delicate, like balance, because I, I think it's one thing to hold people accountable. I think it's another thing to just like be really disrespectful <laughs> about stuff, well, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's so hard. Like even on, you know, my post that I made on Facebook the other day, it's like I had these, this uh, filmmaker couple and wife just like totally blast uh, this director that I was going to be working with, you know, on my post. And I thought, you know, you're entitled to your own opinions. Absolutely. You can think whatever you want to think based off the experiences that you had. But like, it's really odd that you went on my, my post and like did that instead of just using your own platform, you know, to like, to make those comments and statements. And to me, I think that's where it gets, it, the lines get fuzzy. You know what I mean? Like there's a right and a wrong way to, to give people feedback, to let people know of something that's not right. And I think like so often it just either doesn't get said at all or it gets said in the wrong ways. Right. And I think that people tend to, and, and I've talked about this on the show many times, people tend to listen until they like some or hear something they, that they don't like. And then yeah. while the speaker thinks that they're still hearing them, they've actually shut off their ears completely because they're working on their rebuttal for that first thing. And uh, a lot of conversations don't end up going anywhere. And at least in print, they have the the ability to read it over and over. Yeah. And, you know, I, that's one of the reasons I, I like that that medium still exists. The flip side of it, of course, is that anybody can say anything. And as we've seen, even within the Phoenix film community, some of the people that have come through that have been booted out fairly swiftly, um, would come in and say things that were just completely nonsensical just to start a problem and then walk away and watch everyone else attack each other because that was the joy that they got from their statements. Yes. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you pointing that out because I think that you're right. Like a lot of it does come down to intention. You know, there's a lot of people that come here and and speak their minds just to stir the pot, the pot, you know, and like just to kind of have that, specific effect. And for me, when I would write and when I would put that stuff out, it was always in the hopes to elevate, you know, it was never to like, try to bring anybody down. It was like, Hey, let's, let's figure out a way to be better together. You know, <laughs> like, like, like we're all acknowledged there's a problem here. There's this thing happening. So how do we work on this, you know, to, 
to lift it up and to make sure that we're doing this better than we've been doing it before, you know? And I just don't know that a lot of people, I don't know, either wanted to take responsibility for that or, or wanted to, you know, they didn't hear it that way or take it that way. And, and that's, you know, part of the whole thing of, of writing. It's like, I can't be fully responsible for how people interpret things. I can do my best to be as clear as I can, but if you take it one way, then it's like, okay, sorry. Right. Like, yeah. And- but I think, you know, what what's disappointed me most about the things that have happened, at least in the Phoenix film community, and even though I haven't lived there since 2014, obviously, I still know a lot of people and I still hear a lot of the things that go on, are, uh, you know, there were a couple of directors that were well known for casting women and then either requiring sex or, uh, you know, cutting their parts if, if they didn't get what they wanted, that sort of thing. And I heard so many people in the community and I was part of these you know, mass email exchanges that were going back and forth about, we're going to do something about this. This is going to stop and all this. And then nothing happens. And then you see that same filmmakers making another film. And as soon as they announce that they're making a film, a a lot of those people that were saying, we're going to get him out of this community are rushing there because they have like a C-list actor. Well, and that's, I never understood that, you know, and to me, I, I have a hard time with that, you know, like, um, I, I had an experience like that with a filmmaker and I never auditioned for him again. I never worked in another one of his projects again. And yeah, you know, did I feel left out when they were having their fancy premiere and getting written about in a couple magazines? Sure. But did I feel like I did the right thing? Hell yeah. You know, yes, yeah. I absolutely did the right thing and it's worth it. And that was always the disappointing thing. It was, Cause I agree. Like, there would there's so much hollow blue online and oh we detest this person and then it's like as soon as there's a casting notice everyone's still trying to go work with this person because and i don't know if it's like i don't know it's it's almost like a desperation thing it feels like like they they just have to be part of a film because why <laughs> like they think right. that it's going to famous like i don't know what it is well it's going to make it on amazon and because this c-list actors in it everyone in the world is going to see it and the the perception maybe that's part of that if i'm not in it then i'm missing out on something or if i don't agree to do it then they won't call me for the next one i'm like but you didn't want to work with this person in the first place it's 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 almost that same sort of mentality of why you know we have all these people that will have sex with a director to be in their film because the, the because getting in that film is the most important thing in the world and it doesn't matter what it takes to get there. And that is a mentality that has to change. Yeah, it does have to change. And I mean, I remember this was years ago, you know, I went to an audition and um and they wanted me to sign this form. It was a release for the audition. And I remember thinking, that's weird. Like I've never had to sign a release at an audition before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I go back and and sure enough, you know, the director's like, Oh, this this film requires nudity. So we would like you to take your top off now. And I was like, no, (laughs) you know, like I was just like, you know, one, you're sitting here taping it. I just signed a release. Like, I don't know where this is going to end up. And two, like, you know, I don't need to prove to you that I'm like brave enough to go topless when the time comes. Like, that's not how this works. And he lectured me. I mean, he gave me this big speech about how, you know, I don't have what it takes be an actor because clearly I'm not dedicated and I like all this stuff. And I remember I left 
and there was this, you know, I was young. I was, this was when I first started acting. I was in my twenties and I just remember thinking like, man, did I really mess up? Like, did I blow that? And then I calmed down and I thought about it and I was like, no, that was absolutely inappropriate. Like that there was nothing good about that situation. And if that means I never work with that director ever again, that's fine. You know, like that's not the people or film that I need to have in my life. Well, that and and two plus once you start getting known for that, then people will start writing those parts because they know they know that you'll do it and they think that that's what's going to sell their movie. And to an extent, it will get them views, but it's not going to make or break their film. Yeah. And I just think, you know, I've always thought this, like there's a right way and a wrong way to do nudity. And depending on what you're comfortable with as an actor and what you're about, like, you know, it's fine. But for me, like, I, I've understood when nudity isn't like, you know, there's a couple different parts in grief where there's nudity, but it's because it makes sense. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not well, it's not gratuitous. Like, it's just it it would make sense for that person to be nude at that moment. And so that's what's required of the character. But, you know, the stuff that's just like flashy for the moment of, of nudity, that's just never been my bag. Like, you know, I, I, I think I, I tried to do that once and I felt so awful about it. I was just like, well, I'm not going to do that again. You know, (laughs) but but I, and I agree with that because to me, I mean, as a viewer, I'm not a prude or anything by any means, but it it just, I'm more about the story when I'm watching a movie. If I want to see nudity, I'll watch porn. But if, if I'm watching a movie, the whole movie has to make sense. Everything that the character's actions have to make sense. The way that they're looking through the eyes has to make sense. And I just see so much of it that's just gratuitous. And that's yeah. the part, like, it just takes me out of the story because it's unnecessary. And to think about it in an audition, I mean, are they just doing it to prove that, yeah, you you know that you have to do this. You've done it before. So I know when it comes the day of shooting, you're not going to start complaining and say, well, we've shot 30% of the film. So you're stuck with me. I mean, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, if, if it's if it's, you know, I'll sign a waiver that says I have no crazy scars. I don't have a mole that's half the size of my back. Um, right. I don't have a, a, a second person that lives in my belly that <laughs> face is sticking out. You know, I don't have bolts coming out of me. You know, if, I'll sign a waiver that says all that. But it just seems like it's that we're setting the power struggle here more than yeah. anything else. Yeah, it, it very much did feel that way. And it, it, it felt that way because it was that way. You know, mm-hmm. I'm you know, that's the thing that I. I I think I wrote a little blurb about it at the time. And that was something that I really encouraged a lot of my female friends as they were auditioning. It was like, you know, trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right, if you don't feel comfortable with it, like just leave, walk out, get yourself out of that situation. You know, like it's not, it's not worth it. (laughs) Exactly. And now that you're seeing things through the eyes of the, the casting agent and the, and the director, You've just wrapped your, is this your first film then that you've directed? Yeah, I directed a short previously, but this is my first kind of big one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And that's called Moving Ashley. Yes, Moving Ashley. And can you, (laughs) do you want to tell us a little bit about it or is it too early? No, yeah, I can absolutely talk about it. It's it's a really sweet story. Um, I I keep calling it a rom com without the romance. <laughs> <It's> kind of <laughs> well, that's like every relationship I've ever had, then. Right. <laughs> um, but it's you know it's basically this girl uh gets kicked out of her boyfriend's house unexpectedly, and sort of like the last person in the world that she wants to spend time with is the only one that ends up being able to help her move, and um and it's a really sort of sweet 
unfolding of a friendship and kind of like that idea of, you know, the unexpected, like, you know, you, you sometimes think that, you know, people are that, you know, you, ha- you know, who your friends are, and then suddenly someone steps in and, and surprises you. And so it's, it's just a really kind of nice, feel good uh, movie. Nice. I think that that represents life very well, too, because it's the people that we think we can count on that often are the ones that aren't there when we need them. And mm-hmm. it's the random unexpected person or somebody we we may not even really like that ends yeah. up being the one that, that, and then you start building like some kind of bond with them. And, and I've had that happen. Um, I think that's a great story. Yeah. I, I loved it. I just, as soon as I read the script, I was just like, Oh, it's cute. <laughs> I could like picture it in my head and, you know, there's, it's, it's just great. She, there's like a whole scene in the beginning where, you know, her sister like bails on her and her best friend lies and, you know, so she doesn't have to help her move and goes to the lake. And so, yeah, she ends up having to call this kind of, this guy that everybody thinks is sort of creepy and quiet and weird. And uh, he just ends up kind of stealing your heart by the end of the film. So that's awesome. And is this, is this a short, is it a feature? That's a great question. (laughs) Is it in the in-between well, you know, according to like the like to the Motion Picture Academy and everything, it technically is a feature because it's over 60 minutes. Okay. But it's like exactly it's like 63 minutes. So it's not the length of a feature that I was hoping for. I was hoping for a 90 minute. Um, but it just didn't it didn't end up being that. And it was one of those things where it, it if I was going to add stuff, it would be just to add stuff for time. And I didn't want to do that, you know, and I, there's nothing to cut to like, make it a short, like mm-hmm. it just, it's, it's kind of perfect at it as it is. And it happens to be at 63 minutes. So, well, you know, and it's, it's such a weird thing because I feel that the story that needs to be told is the story that needs to be told. And you need a certain amount of filler in the build up, and you need a certain amount of, you know, things to happen so that you're not building the, uh, the tension too quickly. And then you need it to rush. I get that. But at the same point, the story just needs to be the story. And I hate that we we have to feel confined to those sort of definitions of, well, I, I need it to be 90 minutes so I can sell, sell it to distribution or because 60 minutes, you kind of feel like, OK, it's over. Yeah. But like it's still daylight out, you know, <laughs> but then you go to a yeah. Transformers movie that's like three hours long and you're like, Oh my God, I want to just chew through my own leg two and a half hours in, just get to the point already. I'm done. You know? Yeah. It's such a weird fine line, but a lot of that really goes to what your plan is for the film. If you're going to go for like a theatrical showing, or you're going to go for a DVD release, because unless it's a, a qualified feature there, you're not going to get distribution. No, and I don't think we were planning necessarily on getting distribution. I think I originally got a little bit, um, I don't know, defeated is not the right word, but like, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody who's really well known in the film community and I don't think she meant any harm, but she was just like, oh, wow, that's really unfortunate. Like nobody's going to want to program that in festivals because it's such a weird length. And she was just being like super honest, you know? About <laughs> right, it. yeah. And, and I was like, I, I heard what she said. And then there was this other part of me, like just a little deep in my core that was like, you know what? I've helped program festivals before. And if they really like your shit, they'll find a way to program around it. So like, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. Like right, I'm not yeah. going to go through my film or try to add on stuff just to lengthen it. Like I'm going to let it stand and whatever's meant to happen will happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, congratulations on on completing the uh, principal photography on that because 
that's a huge undertaking. Yeah, it was. It was um it was a really good learning experience for me and and for, you know, seeing how I worked with my husband cuz he was the DP on that and um you know, it was it was a really good good thing and you know, the post like I said took us I think longer than we ever thought it was going to take. Um, yeah. Well, you never really know what you're dealing with and in, in what post is going to be like until you're actually in it. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was actually the audio, like the sound that ended up being the most challenging part to it. Um, and I also have that thing where it's really difficult for me to watch my own work or to have other people watch my own work. And I thought it would be better since I wasn't actually acting in it. Like I thought I wouldn't have that anxiety. Um, but I definitely did. <laughs> like I still do. But it's more personal because you wrote this. So you wrote it, you directed it. It's your first one. And I think you've got so many personal stakes. And I'm really glad that you didn't take on acting on top of that. Um, but that's, the, of course, you're going you're gonna to be a little uh, timid. Well, Stephen Kesson actually wrote it. I mean, I helped um, write it and I definitely oh, okay. did the restructuring, but, but yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think it was super smart that I didn't, that I didn't act in it. That was definitely an intentional decision, but um, it did feel, it did, it, it feels, you know, it, cause it's like, ultimately I have control over how everything turns out. So as an actor, like if the film doesn't turn out a certain way, you're kind of like, eh, I have no control over that. You know, right, I could do yeah. what I could do and mm -hmm. eh. With this one, it's like, no, no, everything's my fault if it's horrible. So, <laughs> like, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like I need to, that's an area I need to grow in is getting comfortable with, um, with showing my work publicly. So yeah. I, I think that'll just come in time through, through the process. Um, you'll get more and more comfortable. And then when you do a more of a passion project versus a, a planned project, um, you'll kind of back away from that comfortability and then you'll do your next project and you'll be like, okay, well, I survived that and that was okay. So I'm good with the next one. Yeah, for sure. And I already, I'm already feeling like pumped and ready to go for directing my next, um, there, I'm not going to do a feature for a while just because that was so consuming, but, um, I wrote another short and then, um, we're writing an, another short that's a, one's a really weird twisted drama and one is a comedy and um, I'm really excited for both of those. And it's one of those things where um, I've kind of just accepted that the right people are going to love it. And whoever doesn't love it, that's OK. Because <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's OK. You know, yeah. It's my it's mine. And it's like it's just kind of that's who I am. And either you like it or you don't. Sure. And you'll learn a lot from doing each project, from doing shorts and from doing a feature. You can learn yeah. so much from each. But, you know. Obviously, you know, you do a few shorts, you take all that that you learned, and then you do a feature. And then if there's things that you still need to work on, you do a couple of shorts that help you build in those areas, then you go back and do another feature. And, yeah. you know, you've got my full support, and I will watch this all unfold with great interest. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. The, I mean, like the comedy one, I was actually definitely thinking of hitting you up, um, because it's going to need sort of some some interesting music. And, but well... It's going to have the reason we're doing that one um, is like there's going to be a ton of actual effects that we need to do. And so that's going to be kind of new for us is playing with, um, you know, some some visual effects and stuff like that in this one. But it's going to be really, really cool. And the other one is just like I said, I like I like dark things. I like weird things. And I originally I wrote it for myself to act in. And 
then once I fell so much in love with uh, directing, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to act in this one either. I want to direct this one. So, um, yeah, that's interesting that that you're uh, that you're taking that position. But yeah, of course, you know anything I can do to help. I'm, I've you and I have never actually worked together in all of the projects that each one of us has done. It's amazing that we've never worked on a project together. It really is. It's kind of weird, actually. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like somebody was trying to keep us apart and I won't have it. Well, I feel like I feel like we're just waiting for like the right time. You know what I mean? Ooh. Like when we do work together, it's going to be this momentous thing and it's going to be super cool. So, oh, I like that. I'm into that. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely keep me posted. And before uh, I, I want to talk to you real quick about one thing, and then I want to talk about uh, before we wrap up, I want to talk about these cool, amazing things that you have going on. Um, you, uh, you and I differ on one thing in life. And I don't know if you realize this, but because you and I are very similar people and we agree on so many things. Uh -huh. You hate cinema sins. And I love cinema sins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do you hate them? Well, well, okay, let's do this. Let's flip this. Can I flip it on you? Yeah, first? do it. Can you, can you tell me why you love it? Yes. Uh, I can tell you specifically the very first movie that I recall this happening to me on was the first Die Hard. And I remember <laughs> sitting in the theater going, wait a minute, wasn't his shirt dirtier a minute ago? I'm pretty <laughs> sure you can't fall down an elevator shaft like that. You know, and yeah. I started just picking up on little continuity things that, um, it, and then it just became a very natural thing and I would see them all the time. So when I watch them, I guess I kind of feel a validation that they're seeing some of the same things that I do. But then they take it like 10 steps further and they see things I would have never thought of. But yeah. What I like about it is as a writer, I, I'm seeing a lot of pitfalls that I can mm -hmm. avoid by the things that they're pointing out to me. And so I'm really lo looking at it from not an entertainment standpoint of like, oh, look, they did this wrong and they did that wrong, but more of a, I'm learning from it. It's a great educational tool for me. So I feel like I'm going to shock you a little bit because I think once I started directing and doing some different things, um, I actually did start to appreciate. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's same, it started becoming sort of an educational thing. Um, but for me before it just felt like, you know, when you're an actor, you work so hard and you put your pour your whole heart into something and like to have everything just ruined and the illusion like destroyed by, you know, a Starbucks cup. Like it just felt <laughs> right. You know, it just feels like, okay, you know, like give give me a break here, guy. I don't know. It just it it was kind of a I don't think it felt like an attack, but I just think it felt a little frustrating. You know, it was like, let me show up at your door and like pick apart everything that's going wrong or weird in your right, life. And yeah. How you feel about it. And, you know? and, and in the defense of filmmakers, and I can understand that position, I kind of thought that's what where your, your feelings were on it. Um, it is impossible to make a film perfect. I don't care how much you put into it. I don't care how many times you review it. I don't care how many people you have watch it. There's always going to be something that's not perfect. And yeah. it is a little daunting to think that I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to put my film out and then everyone is just going to rip it apart. And no matter how good this film is, all you're going to hear about is this stupid Starbucks cup. Not yep. the, not the million dollars I spent on music licensing or yes. the $5 million I spent on locations. It's going to be this stupid cup. 
Yeah, it's and that that is what it is. It's like, you know, it feels like it's taking away from the focus of and, and the holistic, you know, approach of everything that went into the film. But like I said, I I think I did start to really learn from that because I you know, there was a part in Moving Ashley where I started to panic because there was this scene, the way we shot it, where like he had this orange shirt and then it was gone and then he had the orange shirt again and then it was gone and then the orange shirt was back and then it was right. gone and it was like, oh my God, we're gonna, that's what everybody's gonna talk about after they see our film. And then like we found a different way to edit it so you can't tell when the orange shirt is coming back. Oh, there you not. go. Yeah. But like, yeah, it was this moment of sheer dread of like, we're gonna have to reshoot this and call our actress back from Nebraska and like, you know, it's like, yeah, oh. I, I can understand there being uh, an element of paranoia because of that sort of thing and especially now because people can screen grab and and you know just record little bits and replay them and, and point out flaws it's it's kind of a a, a bit of a, a look on how society is though because it, it seems like people are more about what can we make fun of or what can we point out that's wrong instead of what can we celebrate yeah and you know i'd rather watch a video of bloopers than i would uh, a champion story you know and and i always look yeah. at the american idol and i and i look at on youtube the number of people that watch like golden buzzer videos versus epic fail videos. And it's like, it's like two to one sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, but that says so yeah. much about our society. No, it really, it really does. You know, and, and for me too, like mistakes just happen. And sometimes I feel like we, we like to glorify that and I don't really understand it, but like where, where I like to actually take time and think about things and acknowledge things is like, when the story doesn't actually make sense, you know, like I like actually one of the things that you brought up, you know, for an example, it was like, well, that can't really happen. You know, like that's not how this like scientifically or physically works. Like right. it's stuff that in grips that um, be become red flags for me because it's like, well, you really should have thought about that, you know, mm -hmm. but like there are other things that happen on a film set that man, there's just so many things going on. <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's like somebody's going to leave a water bottle somewhere. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Like, deal with it. And, and, you know, I actually thought when I was writing my first screenplay, I actually thought about reaching out to them and seeing what they would charge me to review it and, huh. and point out. But I think so much of what happens in movies that they see are not so much what was in the writing as much as it was the process of production. Yeah. You know, there are some things that they pointed out, like there was something they said about uh, the year that Die Hard came out and the actual value of the Barabons didn't actually even come close to what they alluded to in the movie. And I'm mm. like, OK, that could have been picked up in the script very easily unless it was something that was done uh, on the production and accidentally done and they didn't catch it to do a voiceover or whatever. Um, yeah. But I feel like a lot of the stuff they catch is just production mistakes as opposed to actual story itself. See, and I, I, it's funny as you talk about that, because I feel like you and my husband would like just get along gloriously about that kind of stuff, because that's always the kind of stuff he talks about, too. Like whenever we watch TV shows is is are those kinds of things, you know, like he'll see like a stock number for something and he'll be like, well, that's not the right classification. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you, how do you, one, how do you know that? Right. And two, like. I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> but... almost it, it almost gets annoying, though, because I can't I mean, I don't do it on purpose. I'm not scanning the screen looking for things. It, I just notice what I notice. But it's yeah. almost annoying because a lot of times I can't just sit back and enjoy a movie because my mind just starts seeing those things. And then I start going down the rabbit hole of those things. 
and I miss part of the movie, I can't just shut it off and just enjoy what I'm watching. No, I, I get that. And, you know, what's interesting is I don't have that problem. Um, my brain does that, though, with performances. So, like, when I'm watching a film, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll see something and I'll be like, oh, that was an interesting choice. I wonder if the director asked them to do that. Or I wonder, like, what other options they had and why they chose this one. Like, I literally think that every time I watch films now, like, I say that probably 20 billion different times throughout the movie. Oh, that was an interesting choice. <laughs> like, you know? right. Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes back to the dilemma of who do you blame? Do you blame the actor? Do you blame the director? Do you, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely fascinating, but I, I love watching a lot of the, when I get to see, and this is the beauty of DVDs now is that we can see a lot of times they'll have production documentaries or things on there and you get to see a little bit of the madness that, that happened and maybe can kind of understand why things ended up the way they did. But yeah. I'll have to admit when it gets to like, you know, Die Hard 4 and Justin Long is walking behind Bruce Willis and, and he's he's talking, but his mouth isn't moving. <laughs> I kind of have a hard time with like finding a way to justify that shot being used when they could have caught they could have cut to any other footage at all and covered that very easily. I always have a hard time with that. There's actually a couple movies where that happens, where there's like. Yeah, where the actor's mouth isn't moving and there's dialogue coming out. And you're like, "What? why? Why would you? Why? Like, <laughs> I, I understand. And you know, being in the editing bay and as a director, you watch the movie over and over and over. It's so easy to just not see half of the things that are there because your brain already knows. It's like right. you never proofread your own term paper, right? Because you know what you said. Your brain's going to shut a lot of it off. But come on. I mean, stuff like that. How did no one see that? You had a test audience at some point too, before you released it. How did no one ever catch that? It's like, it's, you know, to me, it almost feels like they do it on purpose. It's like people obviously had to have told them, Hey, you know, dude's mouth isn't moving. And they're just like, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> well, but that could be part of, Hey, here's how we're going to get uh, some marketing without paying for it. We're going to throw a couple things. We're going to leave a couple things in there and people will talk about it. And then people will go out and rent the movie or they'll go to the theater and watch it because they heard there's this scene in it. Maybe there is some sort of, uh, you know, a marketing strategy to it. That's very true. And this is such a weird side tangent. I actually so it was just the anniversary of the Blair Witch Project. And there is an amazing article that came out about how they actually shot that film. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, it's in Insane, you know, like everybody kind of knows about the viral marketing thing that happened, but yeah. I'd love to forward you that article because I think you would find it really fascinating. <laughs> like Please do. How... I was so obsessed with that movie when it came out. And uh, I'll tell you the story real quick. I was uh, I was living in Colorado at the time in the uh, Littleton area. And I went I was uh, working at a music store and I closed the store that night and I went to the midnight showing. I lived right by the lake and mm -hmm. it was a foggy night. It's already midnight, so it's already, you know, dead quiet, which is kind of its own creepiness factor. They right. oversold the theater. So you've got people sitting on the floor, sitting in the aisleways. And when the movie ended, there was just dead silence. And the light <laughs> came on and no one moved. And then you heard this woman just go, get me the hell out of here. And then everybody <laughs> just stood up and they were like trying to squeeze through the door. I've never seen anything like this. And it reminded yeah. me of the videos that I've seen of when the old major horror movies came out, like The Exorcist and Halloween, and people were throwing up in the theaters and they were running out of, uh, in the middle of the movie because they were so terrified because yeah. there, there was nothing like this before those. 
Right. I, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. I was, it was just, it floored me that the marketing that they did, first of all, that people believe that anyone would actually allow this footage to be shown if it were real. Right. That was the obvious thing for me. Um, even, even the people that are the families of the, the uh, sailors that died in the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald will not yeah. allow people to go down there and, and scavenge the ship because they've said that, hey, this is our family. You can't go down there and do it. And the yeah. laws have now been placed that you can't do that. So are all these families going to get together and go, yeah, show this movie in theaters, show the loss <laughs> of our, our cousins and nephews. And it just didn't make any sense to me. But apart from that thought, that was the most brilliant marketing I've ever seen. It was brilliant marketing and it was, it was brilliant the way they shot it. And that, that really was a unique part to it. And I, you know, it's funny because they actually interviewed a couple of the actors in this, in this uh, story and the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, there is no freaking way I would have auditioned or agreed to do this film if I was an actor. Like, absolutely yeah. not. You know, like seeing what they went through and even with like the audition notice that I was just like, nope, that would have been immediate. <laughs> like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Is this a snuff film? What are what are you guys really doing here? I, I can't imagine yeah. what the casting notice was. That they oh, it's, it's in there. You'll see it. Oh, it's, good. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty fantastic. I think you'll really dig this article. Yes, please do you. send that to me. And and I remember <laughs> thinking, too, uh, when The Human Centipede came out, which is one of my favorite horror movies, just because it's so different from anything else that's ever been done. As ridiculous yeah. as the concept is, um, I, I was just it was another one I was just blown away by. And I remember uh, listening to an interview uh, by uh, with Ashley C. Williams, who played the middle piece. Mm -hmm. And is a very lovely, lovely person. Um, I went to the premiere of her next film, Julia, that she did, where she was the star of that one. And, and it happened to be right around Halloween in L.A. at the Chinese theater and met mm -hmm. her. She's very lovely. But the, how did anyone read that casting notice of, yeah, you're pretty much going to be naked. You're going to be on your knees. Your mouth is going to be attached to someone's ass. And uh, come on down and audition. Like, I, I oh. have no and it's in a foreign country, so you're not going to be with your family. <laughs> like, there was nothing safe that sounded like anyone should ever go to that. But obviously, it turned out to be a legit thing, and, and they made the movies. But who would who would look at that and go, yeah, I'm up for that? That that takes a resolve that most people would not have. There's always somebody, Scott, you know? Like, sure. I and oh, I have, like, a really quick, uh, funny, like, anecdote about the human centipede. So I was with um, like three of my friends and we had gone to the theater and we were going to see a screening of the room. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, we get our popcorn and it's in one of those like dollar theaters, you know, like where you only pay a dollar to get in and it's like kind of ghetto and you go, <laughs> so we go and we sit down in the theater and all of a sudden this, the movie starts playing and I'm like looking at it and I'm like, this isn't the room. Like what is, but it was the human centipede. Oh, like we had no. gone to the lobby theater. Oh, so wow. I just like got up and ran out. And eventually like the three of my friends like came out behind me and I was like, guys, we almost just witnessed like the most horrifying thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, oh, that's hilarious. I mean, of all the movies you could walk into, that would be the wrong <laughs> movie to go see. But I actually, uh, a friend of mine had said, I really want to watch this movie with you. I've seen it. I want, but I have questions about it. And I want to ask you questions from like a, a movie standpoint and a medical standpoint and all this stuff. Like I know anything about medicine. <laughs> and so I bought the movie and she's like, don't read the back of it. I don't want you to know anything about it. And it was sitting on my counter for like a month in a paper bag. So I wouldn't even look at the cover. Yeah. And I go over to her house and we, we, we put the DVD in. So it's just playing the menu and we talk for like an hour. 
and I'm starting to get sick. So I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit and I have to be on set the next morning. Yeah. And, uh, cause I was a, a PA on a, on a short film and, um, Throughout the movie, you know, we she would stop it and she would ask me a question and we would talk and my voice is getting weaker and weaker. And by the time that I left, it was like 2.30 in the morning. It's misty out in Phoenix of all places. <laughs> and um, and I have no voice by the time I, I actually leave. So, and I'm walking to my car, which for some reason I, I did not park close. I think there was like a party on her street, so I couldn't park anywhere near her. And of course, now everyone's gone. And it's right. just dead quiet. And I'm thinking, first of all, why are there no animal sounds? There's no birds, no crickets, no nothing. That Ooh. was creepy. And then I thought, if there, if anything was happening, no one would hear me scream right now. <laughs> that didn't help after watching this really crazy movie. And I'm like a horror yeah. aficionado. I don't get freaked out at horror movies. I haven't since I was a kid. And so this is like the one time it happened. And I'm just walking really slowly to my car. My, my head is pivoting on my neck just being aware of everything in my surroundings. And I get to the car and I get home. And of course I get on set the next day and I just, I, I couldn't speak. So I had this little post-it note on the front that said, do not watch the human centipede. And I flipped it over and it said, I can't talk. What can I help you with? <laughs> and that's, that's how great. I got through it. But of all, I mean, the, 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 I've never had a set of circumstances come together that could have been more perfect to watch one of the most intense horror films I've ever seen. I still can't bring myself to watch it. I don't think I ever will. I'm actually one of those people that I can't do horror films. Like if there's, I can count on my hand how many horror films I've actually seen. But I like as an actor, I would love to be a scream queen. Like I would love to do horror all the time. Like it's it's the weirdest, most hypocritical thing. Uh, I don't understand that about myself, but it's just a it's just a truth. <laughs> I think that you would be great in horror movies because I think everyone would want you to survive. I, ah. I mean, unless you played a character that was specifically evil and they're like, you know what? Fuck her. Yeah. You know, get let's let's kill her. Um, I think that everybody would just want you to survive. So you would be very identifiable and like, oh, no, don't get her. Don't get her. And they would really root for you, which would make you very, very good in a horror movie. Well, thank you for that endorsement. And yeah, you know what? That makes a difference because I've definitely seen horror films where I've like watched lead character and i'm like yeah i don't care if you die yeah, <laughs> right and if they can't win you over then then there's no tension in the film exactly well i so let me know if you ever do that i want to score that film um, okay so before we before as we as we wrap up i want to ask you obviously you're transitioning out of journalism so what is this new venture that you're you're uh, starting to work on yeah well my husband and i have been um talking about starting our own company for um, a while now. And so we've had the idea to do, um, it's basically a marketplace uh, online, a digital marketplace, and it's called Inspired By. And it's kind of in the idea of Inspired By All Things Southwest. And so, um, you know, we've done some of our own designs on t-shirts and leggings and stuff like that. But really, it's about finding these amazing artists and creators that have uh, these, these um, incredible products and doing really beautiful videos and stories about them, about the creators and about their process and why they make what they make and do what they do. And, um, and then, you know, be able to share that with you guys and then have sort of a seamless shopping experience. So you can buy, you know, a product directly from them after you've watched their story. And, um, that's something that we're just, we're really passionate and excited about. So, um, I don't have like an exact timeline of when that's coming out, but 
we've had this brainchild for a while. And now that I'm going to have the time, I'm definitely going to um, be launching that in the next year. Well, that's very, very exciting. And please do keep us posted um, on the on the Facebook. I have a, a page there and you're welcome to, to post any updates that you like anytime so we can keep up with what's going on. Um, yes. I love the idea of, of promoting local artists, but not just local, but just people that you know, are, are talented, that have a passion, that aren't going to get seen very easily. Because that's yeah. the hardest thing these days is cutting through all the noise. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely people that are just doing, you know, really, really amazing stuff. You know, one of the artists that we're, um, we're going to be working with, I think one of the first artists we're going to be working with is actually... Um, he is part of the Apache tribe. And so we're actually going to be going up to the, to their reservation and working with them. And I, I just can't tell you like how stunning that story is going to be. And I think you're going to be really wowed by the stuff that they're making. Um, yeah. Very nice. And uh, not only do you spend your time building this new business, but as you have this amazing heart of yours, you're also doing something else very special. Yeah, I am a, I'm a mentor. Um, so I have been with this really cool organization called New Pathways for Youth for a little over two years now. And um, I have a mentee. She's 13 and her name is Jade and I love her to pieces. <laughs> and um, what's really cool about this organization is they pair you with um, with a kid and then they hope that you'll stay with that kid as long as you can. They ask for a year commitment, but their hope is actually that you'll stay with them and get them through high school and to college. And so it's a real bonding experience and you become a really big part of their life. And, um, it's been so rewarding, not just, you know, for, for her, but for me too, I've learned so much from her and from doing this and they're always looking for mentors, um, both men and women. They have kids that are, um, like, in younger grades, like in, in fifth and sixth grade. And then, you know, kind of, like I said, through junior high and high school. So, um, they sort of do like a matchmaking process where they interview you and, and pair you with a, a kiddo. And it's just, it's a really, one of the coolest things that I, I have in my life. That's pretty awesome. And I love that, you know, of all the people that could be shaping someone's life, it's you because you have such a beautiful outlook on life and you, you see things, you tend to see things very clearly. And I think that you're just your energy to be around your energy is something that I've always just truly enjoyed. And I think for someone to uh, benefit from that, especially at a young age, really gives them a good shot at life. So good for you. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. It's like I said, it's, it's changed my life and, you know, everyone that I've talked to that has done it has, you know, really kind of, it's just changed. It touches your heart, you know, and it exposes you to kind of a whole different way of living and, and enables you to give back in a really powerful way. So, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to push it, but seriously, if you've ever thought about <laughs> mentoring yeah. or working with an organization like this, like check them out, New Pathways for Youth. They're uh, they're they're really incredible, and it's it's good people that run the organization too. So I I definitely believe in the cause. Excellent. And would you be able to send me a link to that? Oh yeah, great. Sure. Then I'll go ahead and put that in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to follow up. And are they are they just in Arizona? Or are they nationwide? Um, they're, as far as I know, they're only in Arizona. There are some like similar organizations to them in other States. Um, but new pathways for youth is specifically in Arizona. Yeah. But I would imagine if anybody, you know, was in another state, uh, they might want to reach out to them and say, Hey, do you know anyone in, you know, whatever state that they're in and, and see sure. someone to connect with. So that's, that's awesome. I love that you're doing that. And 
Melissa, yeah. I can't thank you enough for, I know this has ran on a, a little bit longer than we had talked about. And I appreciate you, <laughs> you extending some time to me here because it was just a lovely conversation. And you know, anytime I get to spend with you is always a joy. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Scott. I really had fun. Excellent. Well, come back and, and uh, visit us again. And in the meantime, I wish you guys the absolute best with all these new adventures. I think it's uh, it's exciting and it's fantastic. And it, it really takes uh, a thick spine to try something new in life. So good for you guys for going for it. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely could use all the uh, the encouragement that I can get right now. So <laughs> I will, Well, you, you've always got me on your side. You know that. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Well, you take care and we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Uh, you know, of all the people that could be mentoring our youth, Melissa is exactly the kind of person that I would want doing it. Uh, very intelligent, very thoughtful, loving, caring person. I think that she's going to help her child out quite a bit. And the link is in the show notes for those of you who would like to do the same kind of work. Uh, this is in the state of Arizona, but I'm sure they can help you reach out to whoever the local uh, company might be in your state or country. So thank you, Melissa, for coming on the show. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Please remember to rate and uh, leave feedback or uh, email me or uh, you know give a star rating or whatever for the show. It, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you, guys. Have a great day.